I'm Heba Shanbo, and you're listening to Mommy's Happy Hour. First, I'd like to make a quick announcement. The Mommy's Happy Hour book is now officially out. If you're in Egypt, you can grab a copy at DON bookstores, and we're working on expanding that to other countries, and I hope to share more on that soon. I'm nervous and excited, but I'm really looking forward to hearing what you guys think. Okay, now, back to the show. Joined today by Janine Higby. She's a certified nutritionist focused on integrative and functional nutrition. She runs her own practice, JH Wellness, working with clients mainly in New York, but also works remotely with clients around the world. So I'm very excited about this episode. She shares her own experience with motherhood and has tons of tips and insights for us today on nutrition and better health for mothers in general. two boys right mm-hmm. they look identical or is it my imagination <laughs> so it's so funny that you say that because my husband and I don't think that but literally everyone else does like if I take them to the gym class or the doctor they're like so you gave birth to twins two years apart like they look identical <laughs> no because I was looking at one of the pictures on your feed and I was like he looks much younger than I remembered him to be. And then I'm like, okay, no, this must be the second one. And I'm thinking, wow, he looks identical to the first one. Yeah, they're it's it's definitely similar. And they have such similar like builds too, um, as far as like, they're both kind of slight, but yeah, it's so funny. I took my three-year-old to the, for a checkup yesterday and my one-year-old for his checkup last week. And the doctor was like, oh, wow, they're like the same person. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's so cute, by the way. They're so cute. Oh, thank you. Yeah, they're both just very quick to smile and laugh. Like they're so effusive and, uh, you know, um, positive and energetic, but they're also just like bouncing off the walls all the time too. Yeah, of course, you got a three-year-old. And how is the youngest one? The youngest one is a year, Yeah, right? he just turned one. It's a good, it's a cute age. The three, the three year mark for me, this, this to me is like really cute. Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, they each have their own challenges, right? But this is definitely, um, I love, you know, where the mind goes, the questions that he asks. And uh, it's just so fun to see them grow up and become little people. Yes, exactly. It's like they're little people now. It's like they have their own personality and each one has their own opinion and they have their own interests. It's really, really cute. It's really cute. Yeah, I agree. So I wanted to ask you about um, the fact that you're an integrative and functional nutritionist. Yeah. So how long have you been doing that? And for pe- for those of us who don't really know what an, what that is, could you just kind of give us a brief overview of what exactly that means? Sure. So I was in a different career for a while and then um, went back to school. I got my master's in integrative and functional nutrition. And then I opened my practice, JH Wellness. Um, a little bit over two years ago. So January was two years. And I chose to go back to school specifically for that degree, just because it really aligned with the type of approach that I wanted to take. So, you know, when you, when you hear the word functional medicine, usually you hear that described as understanding if there's sort of something off, you look at the root cause. So our medical system does a lot of sort of band-aid approach. You know, you have a symptom, let's do something to fix that one symptom instead of peeling away the layers to see what's really going on that's causing this um, symptom manifestation. And so functional medicine really does try to look at the body as a whole system and um, try to understand the root cause of an issue and approach it from that angle. 
And then the integrative approach is more, um, you might hear the term complementary or integrative medicine. And that's um, not just relying on Western approach to medicine. So it's science-based, but you're also going to uh, incorporate things like maybe traditional Chinese medicine, um, you know, things like supplements and herbs uh, fall under the nutrition world, but then also things like acupuncture, uh, those modalities would be considered uh, complementary or integrative. So you recommend those things if a client might, uh, if a client needs Yeah, it. absolutely. So in within my scope of work, I make recommendations to, you know, diet, their nutrition, um, certainly supplements fall under my scope. And then if there's something that doesn't like, you know, if I think someone might uh, benefit from acupuncture, then I, I, I would refer them out. Postpartum depression is something we don't talk about nearly enough. Even though it's something that most mothers I've spoken to have suffered from it at one point in time. I was curious to know how, if at all, nutrition can maybe support that and how Janine deals with clients who are mothers and facing issues postpartum and need some mental health support. Well, I would definitely want them to see a specialist, um, you know, mental health, someone that could support them from that angle. But there's certainly things we can do from a nutrition perspective, things like making sure that they're not uh, suffering from nutrient depletions, which would cause sort of an out of an imbalance in hormones, neurotransmitters, um, certainly from a blood sugar perspective, you know, balancing blood sugar is so important um, for that sort of stability and regulation. But that would be a good example where I'd partner with another provider. Okay, because you talk about gun, the gut brain connection. Mm -hmm. And I know that's a very important thing. And I know that has a very strong effect on the mental health and emotional health of a, of a person. And, and I know that like 80% of your immunity is in your gut. Yeah, that's why I would, that would be, look, I, I believe so wholeheartedly in nutrition and the power of diet to influence health, but it's not the end all be all. And so that's a really good example where, you know, nutrition would fall short if that was your only approach, you know, for postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety. So it would be one piece of the puzzle. Uh, but absolutely, you're, you're referencing the uh, gut brain connection or gut brain axis. And there's, you know, a, a lot of evidence that's come forward about, you know, even there's more neurotransmitters produced in our gut than in our brain. So when you think of things like serotonin um, and dopamine, but serotonin is like feel good um, neurochemical that mo most of that comes from our gut, not our brain. And so it's very important to consider how healthy is our microbiome and how can we improve that things like prebiotic and probiotic rich foods. And also, you know, that might look like supplementation. I recommend um, prenatal multivitamins for my multivitamin and minerals for my clients, but I also do recommend um, a probiotic during at least the third trimester. Okay. And so do clients come to you mainly for pre-pregnancy, like just regular nutrition, or is it during pregnancy? or is it post-pregnancy? Yeah. So it's really a mix. Um, you know, in the pre-pregnancy world, it usually looks like prior to conception, you know, someone with maybe a hormone imbalance, like PCOS is a big part of my practice or an autoimmune condition. And they really want to work on reducing the inflammation in their body. Sometimes that might look like wanting to reduce certain prescription medications. And so with their physician's, you know, approval, then I can sort of come in with an anti-inflammatory diet to help them reach that goal. So I love when people have enough awareness, like, Hey, I, you know, want to have a kid in six months or 
or in 12 months, you know, what can I do now? Um, I think that's like incredibly powerful to have that kind of foresight and really optimize the health. And, and then beyond that, yes, definitely. When, when women are already pregnant, they're dealing with things like nausea or reflux or just, you know, that overwhelming feeling of, you know, wow, my uh, body is now taking care of someone else. You know, what can I do to not only better my own health, but, you know, my future child. And then postpartum, it usually looks like, oh my gosh, I'm just picking my head up for air. And I'm, you know, sometimes that's three months postpartum, sometimes it's nine or a year postpartum. And someone will say like, I need to do something for myself. You know, I need to sort of regain that self-confidence. Sometimes it's physical, but other times it's just like, how can I focus on my own health while now supporting this new family? Yeah, I think that was the, the toughest time. The most challenging thing I thought was when I, after I had the kids, because before you have all this time to be able to adjust your nutrition and to think about yourself and have your little smoothie and pro, the probiotics and all that kind of stuff. And then after I had the kids, so difficult for me to adjust my diet first I was like just like all over the place I didn't know what to do I was kind of really frazzled and I just was like basically just eating whatever was there and it was really really bad my diet became really bad and it took me a while to kind of get back into the rhythm of things well it's they're three years old and it's like just recently I've started to do that and don't get me started on like when you're breastfeeding that's another like entirely different thing. I know the hunger and the thirst that comes along with breastfeeding. You know, I say like, I'm going to gnaw my arm off if I don't get something in my body right now. Or, you know, you feel like you could drink uh, an entire swimming pool's worth of water because you're just so dehydrated and depleted after a nursing session. But the thing is, is like, I, for like people like me, I wasn't able, I thought I took it for granted. I thought I would be able to breastfeed easily. Well, and with twins, it's so hard to, um, you know, keep up with the demand. I mean, that definitely resonates with me as well. I thought going into nursing with my background in nutrition that I, you know, I knew what I needed to do. I knew that I needed to eat more and hydrate more. And I knew the type of foods that were nourishing and um, going to support my postpartum recovery. But I also had a problem with um, supply with both my boys. It, it hit a little bit later for me, but I think it was like, I have a certain amount. And then as the growth and the demand increases around like four months, maybe with, um, or even three months with my second, I just wasn't able to keep up. And that was, you know, I went from exclusively nursing to with my second, he lost weight between his second and four month checkup. And it was right when COVID hit, I would felt like I was treading water. And all of a sudden we went back to the, um, the four month checkup. And the doctor was like, so he went from 10 pounds, 11 ounces to 10 pounds, one ounce. So they thought something was critically wrong, but I was nursing for like an hour at a time. I mean, we were staying with my parents and my parents were looking at me like, uh, is it supposed to take this long? Like, this is all you do. And he was so fussy and poor guy, you know, it breaks my heart, but I'm sure he was just you know, starving, basically. I mean, he was looking for more food, but I would nurse him for an hour. And then he'd cry an hour later. And that can't be that he's hungry. You know, he he just fed for so long. Well, he wasn't getting nearly enough. So I mean, that just broke my heart. So I can definitely relate to that. I think I, I didn't do any research on that before. Because when I was pregnant, I just assumed that it would be something that I'd be able to do. I had no idea. I mean, I didn't know, like there are certain, certain things like that, that I would have never known 
I agree. I mean, that's one of the ways I try to support the women that I work with, you know, again, prior to the birth of the baby, because there is so much focus on pregnancy, particularly from a medical perspective in the US. But there's, you know, you go in for your six week postpartum checkup, and you know, they basically clear you for sex or not. And that's it. I mean, there's no talk, they do a good job now with, you know, mental health screening, but there's still no talk on, you know, pelvic floor recovery on again, like nutrition to support the, um, you know, rebuilding and recovery of tissue. And then of course, with the, the breastfeeding, I mean, it just feels like that gets completely glossed over. Uh, I mean, even the postpartum recovery in those early days, you come home from the hospital, you have no idea what to expect unless you've talked to a, you know, a girlfriend who's just recently gone through it, because it's just um, unlike anything uh, that you could imagine. And it's not what people talk about. Yeah, actually, yeah, that that's true. I mean, that was why I started this whole podcast because people are not really honest about it. And I actually want to ask you that, do you have family? Do you live close to family? Or do you have really close friends that have gone through that have that are parents already? Were you aware of what was going to happen before you got into it? Yes. Like, fortunately, um, there's a group of friends in, in New York, and we sort of all got pregnant, you know, within a few months of each other. And that's really helpful to have someone either through a mom's group or, you know, in your circle of friends, because it's kind of funny. I mean, even your friend that went through it like a year ago, you have that, you know, postpartum uh, amnesia, basically, where you don't remember the birth experience, you don't remember those early weeks. Um, And so having someone that's close to you, um, time wise, you know, certainly close to you emotionally, but also close time wise, I think that can be so beneficial, because they're the one that might say, you know, oh, put the pad in the freezer, you know, get the witch hazel, um, bring the Perry bottles from the hospital to, you know, wash yourself. And those are the like little tiny things that make all the difference. I agree. I think that was the one thing I missed a lot. I was like, oh, I wish I had a close friend of mine who had just had a baby. I didn't have any of those. But, and my mother, like anytime I'd ask her, she's like, hmm, this is very strange. I've, I don't, I don't remember you, you being like this. And I'm like, okay, this is like four, over 40 years ago, so I'm sure you don't remember. She's like, no, no, you were not like yeah. that. And I'm like, oh God, you know, it's like, mom, this isn't helping. Just tell me something, help me out. I think that first year it was like just as overwhelming for my mother and my father as well, because they live close by. But it's like, they didn't want to have anything to do with it. They're like really happy. Like they kept on saying, oh my God, we're going to help you out. And don't worry, you, you can get back to work easily. But for some reason, that first year, they had disappeared. They vanished. <laughs> they were like, they'd like appear like out of nowhere for like 15 minutes, come over and then be like, I have to go to work. <laughs> okay, so something I've struggled with since becoming a mother is time. More so once I started working. We went through phases of being super unhealthy because it was just so much easier to order in rather than attempt to cook. My husband and I just didn't have the energy for that. So I asked Janine for her top tips for busy mothers. This is such a good question because it comes up a lot in my practice. And what I tell my busy moms is that you shouldn't feel any pressure to reinvent the wheel. Find five recipes that you're comfortable with and you know that your family enjoys and keep those in regular rotation. We're all creatures of habit, so you don't need to have some new and exciting recipe every week for your family. Uh, The other thing is that those recipes don't have to be complicated. I like to provide my clients with one pan meals, and basically that's like a baking sheet where you can put the protein and the vegetables 
all in one sheet and pop it in the oven, or maybe a slow cooker dish or a stir fry. The idea is that these are a lot less cleanup, so they're gonna save you time on the back end. And another point is that everything doesn't have to be made from scratch. That puts so much pressure on you. Um, you know, lean on things like sauces and marinades so that you can add complexity of flavor to the dish without spending a ton of time chopping things up and you know, creating that flavor profile yourself. The last thing is just make enough for leftovers. You're already spending all that time and effort in the kitchen. Double the recipe and have enough for the following day. But that is a great idea, the one pan you know, dinner. And, and actually limiting it to five because I always, I always do this thing for some reason. I always try to come up with like every week, try to come up with something different. And it's just like, I get burnt out. I'm like, no, I don't know why I do that. And my husband used to tell me, he's like, we don't need to have like a different million different things every single time. So I'm always like, yeah, I don't know why I try that. And it's just like, I don't get anything done. It's just so like, you know, this, like I have, I can procrastinate and I'm like, why don't I just make, and then at the end I just make something that's no, or alternatively, I'm so like tired. I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to make anything. I'll just order in. But I don't, we don't order in as much as we used to. We used to order in all the time because I was just like so bad. We had such bad eating habits at one point. I wanted to ask you, what are your nutri nutrition tips for women who are pregnant in terms of supplements, nutrition? So food is definitely first, um, but I do think at certain life stages and pregnancy is one of them that supplements are critical to sort of rounding out the what would be missing from the diet. So to start with the supplements, absolutely a comprehensive uh, multivitamin and mineral. Um, so that's going to have all the vitamins and minerals to support fetal growth and to support the, a healthy pregnancy. In addition to that, I always recommend a fish oil with DHA and EPA as well. And if someone is a vegan and they can't do fish oil, there you can do algae-based um, DHA, but as far as the conversion goes in your body, it's just a little bit better if you tolerate it to do a fish oil. So I always recommend those two. And then the third that I'd like to recommend is a probiotic. There's some good research that shows at least in the third trimester, mothers who um, take a probiotic during that third trimester, their children have less risk of food allergies, asthma, and overall like seasonal allergies. So those are sort of my three go-tos. Um, the only other thing to consider is whether or not your multivitamin should have iron in it. For some women, um, you know, they, they need that additional iron and for others, they don't need it because their diet is rich in iron. Maybe that's a lot of meats, um, you know, plant-based proteins. But uh, if someone does not need iron, then it's good to avoid it because that can lead to some digestive issues. So you recommend just a general multivitamin with minerals, is it, or one specifically for pregnancy? Because I know pregnancy, there's higher folic acid, right? Yep. And actually, I'm glad you brought that up. So specifically for pregnancy, absolutely. And then one of the things I actually look for in a prenatal multivitamin is that it has folate or methylfolate instead of folic acid. And that's because about half the population doesn't convert folic acid, which is the synthetic form, to the version of folate that our body utilizes. And so if you can find a multivitamin prenatal that has the methylfolate instead of the folate, folic acid, you bypass that need for the conversion and your body's able to utilize it. 
And um, that's one of the major reasons why when I'm working with women prior to pregnancy, like I, I love to work with women that are sort of cleaning up their health and diet in anticipation of a future pregnancy, or sometimes that looks like they've just started and, you know, they want to sort of optimize the fertility. And I always try to get my clients that have enough foresight to start a, a multivitamin, prenatal multivitamin, at least three months prior to conception. Okay. And because that fold is so critical in those early weeks before women even know they're pregnant. And what is it beneficial? What's the benefit of folic acid and then folate acid once you're pregnant? Sure. So the, the main thing is there's a very strong tie with a, a folate deficiency and uh, neural tube defects. So a very serious birth effect. And so those, um, that, that nu nutrient is used in the very early weeks, like, you know, the first four weeks of conception, uh, after conception, it's critical. So that's why a lot of times women don't even know most times, you know, you don't even know you're pregnant then. So getting yourself on a, a prenatal multivitamin prior to trying to conceive is, is very wise. Okay, great. And how about, does that change or does it shift slightly after they've had the, after we've had kids? after you've given birth? Yeah. So, um, you know, it depends on if a mother is nursing or not, but no matter what postpartum, you know, your body is just so depleted as you know, I mean, you've gone through this pregnancy and then you've gone through the actual delivery. And for some women, you know, that's hours of laboring. And then, um, for some, it's even the additional trauma of a C-section and the recovery that's related to that. So because, because of that, even if a mom is choosing not or cannot breastfeed, I still recommend carrying through that prenatal multivitamin for at least three to six months. And if someone is going to breastfeed, I recommend carrying that through to at least three months beyond the breastfeeding because nursing is so depleting on the body as well um, that we really need to supplement the diet to try to get that optimal levels of the nutrients that are needed to support mom's recovery and to support the growing baby. Also, infertility is a big issue here. So it's become very common and I don't know what it's like in the States. Um, do you have women that come to you with infertility issues and what do you recommend to them? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the more recent estimates I was looking at was one in six uh, couples trying to conceive, uh, meet the definition of infertility uh, or fertility struggles, which is basically trying to conceive for a year. Um, so a lot of the women that I work with uh, that are struggling with that fall under the diagnosis of polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. And that uh, has a very specific sort of hormonal imbalance. Um, a lot of times that looks like high, uh, what you would call the male hormones, like the androgens, the testosterone. A lot of times that looks like um, an imbalance in the insulin and blood glucose regulation. So for those women, there's a very specific um, diet protocol that I would recommend and sort of help them adopt that into their daily life. But a lot of it looks like um, getting, you know, it's a lot of the same things that we talk about in any healthy diet, but, you know, really high on fresh, uh, fruits and vegetables. And I mean, fresh just isn't whole foods. It can absolutely be cooked. Um, a lot of healthy fats. So again, the fatty fish and salmon or the walnuts, these things that are going to be getting us the high omega threes, which are anti-inflammatory fats. 
Um, and then a lot of focus on blood sugar stabilization. So because there's that, it's, it's almost like a, a sister syndrome to diabetes in the sense that it has a lot to do with blood sugar dysregulation. And so really, you know, sort of a, a low glycemic, not necessarily low carbohydrate, but, you know, carbohydrates that are very fiber rich and pairing those at a meal with fats and proteins so that the blood sugar doesn't spike, causing the insulin to spike, which then causes this hormonal cascade that makes it very difficult for women with PCOS to have a normal ovulation and of course, therefore um, conception. So, so yeah, PCOS is a big part of it. And then there's a lot of people that will come to me with sort of just an, an explained infertility. And then we look at, you know, generally cleaning up both the diet and the environmental exposures of both partners, you know, trying to conceive because there's some good evidence in the research that we can do things to improve men's chance of fertility, um, mostly from an antioxidant supplement perspective and less, uh, less evidence is on diet and nutrition, but there's still a lot, uh, a lot of good evidence to, again, the whole fresh foods, the fatty fish, the fiber rich, you know, carbohydrates, and then um, really healthy anti-inflammatory fats. So do you think that the if you if somebody tweaks their nutrition and takes enough supplements will that how what's the success rate for for infertility problems yeah i know it's so hard because every person's every person is individual i always try to set up the expectation that this is you know um, supporting what they're going to do. It's not necessarily a guarantee. So I still work with some women that do, um, you know, artificial reproductive technology. So maybe the diet or the supplements is even to support better outcomes in IVF or IUI. So, um, you know, I'm careful not to make any promises. And then also just to give the expectation that the average time is about four to nine months for someone that is, you know, struggling for, with fertility and wanting to um, change their diet. And again, like the environmental exposures from, you know, chemical um, endocrine disruptors that we're exposed to in everyday life. So I, I don't really give anyone any guarantees, but there's really good evidence that even if it's not a natural conception, things um, like monounsaturated fats are going to help support uh, IBS success rates compared to things like trans fats and saturated fats. So um, we have the research to back it up. There's just, um, you know, not the specific percentage that I could yeah, offer you. Okay. Uh, and my last question is about intermittent fasting, because I know that's something that you support. What are your thoughts on that? I think people have gone like crazy about inter intermittent fasting recently. I personally love it. I think it's, yeah, it's such a hot topic right now. I was just, um, got a question yesterday about intermittent fasting during breastfeeding. And I was like, you know, absolutely not. The priority is, you know, again, nourishing the baby and, and sort of, um, rebounding or responding to that nutrient depletion from pregnancy for the mother. So there's definitely some serious contraindications, things like pregnancy, um, postpartum, some for thyroid disorder, you know, particularly women, th this can really, again, sort of um, throw off the hormonal imbalance. Um, and then the other big group to sort of avoid intermittent fasting would be anyone with a history or, of course, active eating disorder, because it does sort of open the gateway to put these like very harsh restrictions around eating windows and fasting windows. And that can trigger for some people that are susceptible to that a little bit of either disordered eating or an eating disorder. 
Now there's great evidence for people with metabolic syndrome, for those clients that I referenced earlier with PCOS. You know, if they're not saying, trying to actively conceive right now, but it's a woman that comes into me with a diagnosis of PCOS and they want to maybe lose weight, increase their chance of fertility, or again, they're thinking maybe three to six months out. Intermittent fasting is a great tool for balancing those glucose and insulin levels, um, helping with hunger hormones so that people feel more satiated. Um, so I do think metabolic syndrome, um, PCOS, people that want to lose a little bit of weight. You know, I, I work with intermittent fasting with uh, women postpartum after they're done nursing. You know, that could be a nice little kickstart to help get back to feeling like themselves and feeling good about themselves. So it really is clients or person specific. Um, and then the other thing to just keep in mind that I caution always is, you know, when you're in that eating window, then you have to eat enough food so that your body doesn't, you know, for to oversimplify it. So your body doesn't think it's in starvation mode. So, you know, it's not sort of this, um, over exercise intermittent fast, and then under eat in the, in, in the eating window, right? You want to make sure that you're getting enough calories in the eating window and that the quality of food is really good. That's one of the things that I personally appreciate about intermittent fasting is a, you know, not having to think about, uh, you breakfast. It's like one more, it's one less thing I have to do, but B it sort of motivates me to make good decisions within the eating window because you only have so, you know, much food, uh, so many meals or snack opportunities to nourish your body. And so, you know, I need to make good decisions to make sure that I'm getting enough, again, like vitamins and minerals to support what my body needs to do. So I find that it actually motivates me to make good decisions, not from a calorie restriction, but from a how can I fill my plate with enough food to nourish myself? Well, which which one do you advocate? Because there's so many of them. Which one is it? Do you tailor it to each person that comes to you? Or which is the one that like, give me like an overview, because there are a lot of them. Yeah, there are a ton. Um, so a lot of times you'll see something like a five two, which refers to, you know, eat uh, fasting on two days. So that's referring to five days a week versus two days a week fasting. Um, and, you know, even within that five two, you'll see a lot of variability where some people will say the amount of calories that you're allowed to allowed, you know, in air quotes to have in that two day fasting window, it's not zero. So some people will sit bone broth throughout the day. Some people will have some, you know, vegetables and a little piece of protein. Um, it's usually about what I recommend for people that want to go that route is keeping the calories under, you know, 200 calories a day, maybe under 400 calories a day for that fasting day. Um, and then again, making sure that you're not overstressing your body from like a work perspective, from a physical uh, exertion perspective on those days, you're sort of supporting and uh, nourishing yourself with a lot of hydration and electrolytes added um, and sleeping well. And then in those five days a week, you're eating normal and normal means you know, good, healthy decisions, not going crazy. Um, you know, with, it's not like the, the cheat days that people look to, to sort of go, go wild on. Um, so that's the five, two. And then another common one is, is also referred to as periodic fasting. So that's more of like within the 24 hour day, what's going to be your eating and what's going to be your fasting window. Probably the most common you'll hear is the 16, eight, um, and so that's, again, a fasting window of 16 hours in the 24 hour day. And so I think the simplest way to think about that is let's say the eight hours are from noon to 8pm. Um, so you would have your first meal of the day at noon, 
Um, and then you would finish eating your dinner by eight and that would provide that 16 hour window. One thing I really like about intermittent fasting and particularly the, the periodic fasting that I haven't mentioned is the flexibility that it's not an, it doesn't have to be an everyday thing. So this could be a tool, you know, that we have access to when we need it. So again, if you're going to want to do a hard workout, or if you're having a stressful day at work or stressful day with the kids, you know, you don't have to do it. If your body feels like it's starving, eat, you know, that that's your body signaling something to you, but you may find that, you know, two days a week or three days a week, you're able to fit that in and it helps you meet your health and, you know, weight and body composition goals. Um, a little bit easier than say trying to restrict throughout the day. I like the five two. That was the one that I heard of initially. I like it because it's it really I like going for period fasting longer hours because for some reason it does give me more energy. When I do the not eating it up until twelve, that's easy for me. It's easy and I can tend to maybe have less healthy eating choices, make less healthy eating choices during that day. But if I do five, two, the rest of the week, I'm like, I'm not starving myself. So I'm able to be healthy, relatively healthy. And on those days that I, uh, that I do the five, two, like the days that I decide to fast, I'll pick the day after the weekend and the day before the weekend. And I'll just make sure to have a healthy, low calorie meal at night. And that's it. So it takes a lot of the guessing out of this, the, the, you know, the equation. So I know one day, two days a week, I'm not eating anything. I'm just going to have a light dinner. Yeah, I think that's great. And, you know, going back to, because we're sort of talking about this fertility world, going back to the PCOS again, there is good evidence actually that the um, one particular study I'm thinking of where the five, two fasting was actually a little bit more beneficial than a periodic, like a 16, eight fast. So um, I give my clients the option. Um, and, you know, dep again, depending on where they're at in their sort of the, the motherhood journey, but if they're, if it's, intermittent fasting is a fit for them. I give them the option. Most people choose the sort of like 16, eight. Um, and then I've had some clients that just felt like their, their goals weren't being met on that. And we've switched over to the five, two. Yeah. I think once I got used to it, the five, two really gave me a lot of energy at the beginning. I was a little bit sluggish and then I got used to it. And even for, for clients that's think, you know, the 16, eight is, is going to be too hard or the five, two is going to be too hard. I do like just the general idea of like a 12 hour fasting window. Again, like we shouldn't be snacking all night. And I think by, again, as long as there's not this risk of sort of disordered eating, I think people do well with a little bit of guidelines or a little bit of rules because you finish your dinner and you could just sort of snack indefinitely. But when you look at the clock and it's, okay, it's 9 p.m., you know, I want to be able to have breakfast tomorrow morning, I'm going to cut this off, or I'm not going to pour that other glass of wine, or, you know, I already had that square of dark chocolate, I'm not going to reach for another one because I don't want to set back the window. So I think it's a nice little check-in of like, am I hungry? Do I really need this? Am I just bored and grazing. Um, and I find that the fasting window gives people a moment to pause and check in with themselves. Okay, so that was quite a bit of info today, but it's so important for us to understand these tips. They're simple, yet can go such a long way in helping us busy mothers to get on the right track. Stay healthy, keep everyone at home healthy, and it certainly does enhance sleep quality. Thank you for joining me for this edition of Mommy's Happy Hour. I'm Heba Shanbo, and this episode was produced by Chirag Desai.
You can give us a shout on Instagram at Mommy's Happy Hour or me personally at Hippa Shunbo, and I'll see you again in two weeks.